Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Would you turn to Exodus chapter 13? We are going to look today to the third of three memorial events that God associates with delivering his people out of Egypt. And he says, I don't want you to ever forget these three. And he he builds them into their life. The first is Passover. And by Passover, he says, every year, 14th of Nisan, I want you to celebrate this this Passover feast, and remember this, don't ever forget that I delivered you from death by the blood of the Lamb. Don't ever forget. And so every year, the the families of Israel would remember that God delivered them. Their firstborn, but by the firstborn, their whole family delivered them from death by the blood of the Lamb. How many of you remember what the second thing is? What is the second memorial that, uh, to the deliverance out of, out of Egypt. What was it? Good. All right. How many knew that? Yeah. <laughs> the unleavened bread. Remember that? Speaking of the manna that God said, where I guide, I... Where God guides, he provides. If the Lord tells you to do something, if the Lord says, I'm setting you free, if the Lord says, I'm having you to take this step out of Egypt, you can do it. Doesn't matter that it's a wilderness out there because God will provide bread from heaven. And he fed them for 40 years. He says, I don't ever want you to forget that. With a feast of unleavened bread, you, you, you eat that unleavened bread and you remember that I fed you. That where I, where I guide you, I provide for you miraculously. I create out of nothing when I need to, to care for you. Hallelujah. We're free indeed. Now we're coming today to the third The third thing that God establishes, Israel has now, at midnight, uh, really the the Passover had begun. The Lord himself went through the nation and was taking the life of every firstborn child in a house where there was not blood on the door. Where they had not had that Passover meal and were full of lamb, the not the angel of death, but the Lord himself went through the land and took those lives. I'm sure that the Egyptian people came at that point in crowds. It said they were alarmed and they came out and they implored the people to leave. So they must have come out and surrounded homes and knocked on the doors and said, get out of here. If you stay any longer, we'll all be dead. Get out of here. And so in the middle of the night, Two million people were rousted and pushed out of the land. And they, they went down and they assembled in a, huge, in a huge staging area in a place called Sukkoth. I'm sure it was nothing but huge fields. It would have to be. You've got two million people in all the flocks. Sukkoth means booths or brush arbors. You put up those sticks and you, you, you lay brush across for a shelter from the sun. And so this place must have been full of these brush arbors with the Two million people gathered by their 12 tribes. Gathered by tribes. And you recall they, were, they had come down to the place on the border of Egypt, right on the, on the road called the Way to Shur, which goes across uh, north-central 
Sinai Peninsula. It's the hot, dry way. And God had called them there and they amassed. In that gathering in Sukkoth, God reminded them of the three things that I've just brought your attention to. But here's the third one. Chapter 13, verse 1. Here's what he spoke to Moses there at Sukkoth. And then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Sanctify to me every firstborn, the first offspring of every womb among the sons of Israel, both of man and beast. It belongs to me. And this would refer to the large beasts, the cattle, the sheep, the goats, the donkeys, the camels, things like that. It would not refer to your hamsters. I bet they didn't have those things on purpose anyway. Verse 11. It shall come about when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanite. In other words, when we get into the promised land, as he swore to you, and to your fathers, and gives it to you, that you shall devote to the Lord the first offspring of every womb, and the first offspring of every beast that you own. The males belong to me. They belong to the Lord. But every first offspring of a donkey, because it is an unclean animal, and when we talk about devoting them to the Lord, we're talking about putting them on an altar, cutting their throats, and burning them up to God. There are, there's sacrifice. This is a sacrificial offering. He says, you don't put a donkey, an unclean animal, on an altar and burn it to me. He says, I want you to redeem it with a lamb. In a, you take a lamb in its place and offer that for the life of that donkey. Uh, but if you don't redeem the donkey, then you break its neck. A little ugly detail, but you kill it. And then he says, and every firstborn of man. See, not only are the animals, but the, the sons, the firstborn sons belong to him. And by extension, you would say, well, that means they, they get put on an altar, kind of like Isaac, and offer to the Lord. Is that where we're going? And the Lord says, no, no, I don't want humans sacrificed. You shall redeem each of those. And you, again, will offer that uh, lamb in its in his place. Verse 14. And it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? Then you shall say to him, With a powerful hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. And it came about when Pharaoh was stubborn and about letting us go, that the Lord killed every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord the males, the first offspring of every womb, but every firstborn of my sons I redeem. Though God's salvation is a free gift which cannot be earned or deserved, it does leave those who are saved with a great moral debt. Did you understand that? Salvation is something that cannot be earned or deserved. You are saved by putting your faith completely in Jesus Christ. Not passively, not affirming historically he lived, but by reaching out and aggressively laying hold of Jesus as your Savior. Understanding you're a sinner, you need him, you reach out and trust that he died for you. And in doing that, you are saved. It is nothing you can earn. In fact, if you try to justify your salvation, if you try through religious deeds, even good behavior, to somehow justify that you deserve heaven, your faith is in yourself and you're not saved. I mean, this is a big deal. You must 
completely cast yourself onto the finished work of Jesus Christ. His broken body, his shed blood. That's why you'll go to heaven. Your changed life, your good behavior, your ministry works, and all of those things are expressions of a sweet aroma like an offering to God. That's because you love him, because you have his heart in you. Uh, you're transformed. Sure, you're going to have a life change. But you don't earn your salvation. Everybody in agreement? If you're not, see me afterwards. <laughs> Having been saved, how can I receive such a salvation, delivered from death, delivered from hell, delivered from the judgment of God, Joined to the family of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, loved of God as my Father now with a passionate love. All of this has been given to me. How can I not be thankful? How can I not sense a moral debt to God? God didn't just save us so that we kind of can live our own, okay, now you're saved and between now and heaven I just want you to have fun. Just entertain yourself. Be as comfortable as possible. I'll bless you so you can have big cars and big houses and stuff. And then when we get to heaven, I'll give you a big mansion. Oh, no. He says, you belong to me. He didn't just die for us. He bought us. He bought us out of hell. He bought us out of death. And he paid the dearest price he could. You and I belong to him now, just as the firstborn of Israel. We realize now we owe our lives to God. It's impossible to look at all that he's done for us and not feel deep gratitude. Somehow our hearts understand that our only proper response is to give ourselves back to him this is the lesson the Lord meant to teach his people by having them dedicate their firstborn sons. They were to never forget that on Passover night, their families were rescued from death by the blood of a lamb. From that night onward, their firstborn sons owed their lives to the God who ransomed them. I'm going to show you today, God now views you and me as firstborn sons. Whether you're a man or a woman, doesn't make any difference. You and I now hold that place of firstborn sons in God's heart. Each would be presented to God and dedicated to his service. They were to live as one who has been given back his life, realizing they should have died, but God mercifully spared them. The lesson of the firstborn son is a prophetic illustration of the life every believer lives. We too have been delivered from death by the blood of a lamb, and therefore we too are obliged to present ourselves before God and dedicate ourselves to his service. First of all, why did God select the firstborn son? Flip back to chapter 4 of Exodus. This goes back before the plagues, before Moses is even in Egypt. God was speaking to him about what he would do. And he says at verse 22, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son. My firstborn. Read that with me, would you? Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son 
your firstborn. First of all, you see that God considered the entire nation to be his firstborn. Men, women, and children were firstborn. That meant that they held a special place in his heart. Out of all the nations of the earth, this was the one group that had faith in him. All the other nations were serving other gods. God loved them. He longed for them. But these were the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, not all of them served him. Not all of them loved him. Certainly, there'd be a lot of nominal religion like there is anywhere else. But there's a core of folks who believe in him and love him, who have the faith of their fathers in them. They're saved. They're trusting God. And God says, you to me are a firstborn. Of all the nations of the earth, I give you place. A firstborn son would have spiritual leadership, and, and Israel has had spiritual leadership, has it not? From them we have our scriptures. From them we have the prophets. From them we have our Messiah and our Savior. Jesus said it. Salvation is from the Jews. And it is. They are the firstborn. They have that place, for they were the people of faith. They got a double portion of, an, of inheritance, all that blessing, and like a representation of the family, the firstborn would be the representative of the family. They represent the nations of the earth. They're his firstborn. He says, he says Israel's my firstborn. These people that love me, they're a firstborn child to me. And then what had Egypt, what, what had been going on? Well, for I don't know how many years they had been taking the, the male babies and casting them in the Nile River to the crocodiles. How many thousands, how many tens of thousands of children had perished in that river? To the point that God's first plague, if you recall, was to have that river just bubble up with blood as a prophetic testimony against Egypt, saying, the blood of these children cries out against you. He says, you've killed my firstborn. God says, I'm going to kill yours. There's a justice in here. It's a horrible thing, but it's a justice. What is the meaning of redemption? I want to turn back with me to, to chapter 13. There's a word there I want you to understand. Verse 13, but every first offspring of a donkey you shall, notice the word, redeem with a lamb. But if you do not Redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And every firstborn of man among your sons, you shall redeem. There's a word for redeem that we've seen elsewhere, which means a kinsman redeemer. It's a family thing. But this is not the word used here. The word used here means to ransom. To just plain ransom. To rescue from captivity or slavery by paying a price. To transfer ownership from one to another through the payment of a price. God says, I want you to ransom the donkey. I want you to ransom your son. You pay a price and that donkey then belongs to you. That son is your son again as you ransom it, him from death. What was the price paid for the redeeming of the firstborn? It was the blood of a lamb. Now, I'll ask this question. Can a lamb's blood deliver you from death? What power is there in, in this lamb dying? I mean, why, what, what is this with God wanting all these dead animals? I mean, ugh, where are we going with this? 
Let me take you to Hebrews chapter 10. I want to show you a very, very uh, important statement. You know, I have never taught Hebrews here, the book of Hebrews, because it has so many Old Testament references. But now that you've been going through Genesis and Exodus, I'm going to take you through it someday, and you will shout, Hallelujah, Amen, preach it, brother. <laughs> because as you see the meaning of these things, they're tremendously powerful. It's a great book, but you do have to know the Old Testament to appreciate it. Look at verse 4. Here's a statement that you just got to face. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Wait a minute, then why are we doing this? Why are we killing all these little lambs and sacrificing these animals when it's impossible for their blood to take away sins? Now let your eye go down to verse 10. By this we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See that phrase? In fact, say it with me. Once for all. That's very important. Then he says, Every priest stands daily ministering in the temple of the tabernacle, offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. Well, what are we doing them for? But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. See that? sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. By the way, just an interesting note, those were the verses that Martin Luther was walking around reading and he suddenly saw it. He was a Catholic priest and he read that thing and he said, what are we doing? What are we doing? And boy, did that change some history. Those were the verses. The cross is the center point of all of human history. In the old covenant, people would look forward to the day that God would send a deliverer. They didn't know exactly what it would be, though Isaiah was about as specific as he could possibly have been. And that was 800 years before Christ. But they looked forward to the day that God would send someone who would bear their sins. For them, the blood of the lamb was a symbol reminding them that someone, something would die for them that they might be forgiven. Today, and in the whole new covenant, we look backward to the cross. We trust that someone has died for us. Do you see it? They believed someone would die. We believe someone has died. Center point of history is the cross. Now, the blood of a, of a lamb or a goat can't wash your sins, but neither can grape juice. You see this? Grape juice doesn't have any power to wash your sins. Broken bread doesn't have any power to wash your sins. But when it's combined with faith... When by faith you're trusting that the, the Son of God died for you, all of a sudden this is transformed into a very powerful encounter with the living God in which you lay hold of his mercy and you're washed of your sins. So were they. So were they. 
they would lay their hands on that little animal, confessing their sins, and then cut its throat themselves. And they would be believing, God, this animal has somehow died for my sins. And of course they're going to know the blood of a bull and a goat isn't going to do it. They had to trust that God would someday be providing his own lamb. First Peter 1.18, Peter says, You know that you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. You and I have been ransomed. Now, what was the relationship between the firstborn and God? Once they have... That once they're ransomed, what's supposed to happen to them? Here at Numbers 3.13, For all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel from man to beast. They shall be mine. I am Yahweh. He says, I gave you your life back. Now you're obligated to me. Out of gratitude, out of sheer moral obligation, when, some, when you had your life handed back by something like this, you're not your own anymore. God has claimed us and considered, he considered the firstborn of Israel his peculiar property. And what they were to do, every firstborn child was to be taken into the tabernacle of the temple, presented before God, and the parents would offer a lamb if they could afford it. And if you recall, Jesus had this very thing done. His mother and father took him to the temple. And what did they offer for him? They were poor. They couldn't afford a lamb. I mean, that's a very loud statement about their poverty. They came and they offered two turtle doves. And they bought their son's life back. They redeemed their son and consecrated him to the service of the Lord. Because when you're consecrated, that's what happens. That's what happens to people. We don't get laid on, 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 on altars and have our throats cut. Hallelujah. We, in, in, I'm a firstborn son. We, we get... We become living sacrifices. Our lives have been given back to us. And now they are consecrated, set apart, dedicated to the service of the Lord. Whatever that will mean. We become, as it were, priestly. Called of God, anointed of God to serve the Lord. In, uh, in the Old, Old Testament, God took one of the tribes... And he used them to model this. It was the Levites. He said, they shall be the firstborn among you, Israel, and they shall live out your consecration, your service to me. And what did the Levites do? Who remembers? They were priests. They were the ones who helped people confess their sins with the offerings. They were the ones that helped people worship. So when, when your life's given back to you, when you're consecrated unto the Lord, when you come into this understanding... What does he do with you? He doesn't, he doesn't want you dead. He wants you living. And what's he want you doing with your life? Serving him in priestly ministry. Called and anointed of God to bring others to him. 
That's not a bad trade. I would far rather do that than go to hell. Are New Testament believers considered as firstborn? Now I want to show you a very important verse. Hebrews 12. I think you're already there at 10. Verse 22. It says, You have not come, in verse 18, to a mountain, meaning Mount Sinai, that can be touched, uh, cannot be, that can be touched, into a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and all of that stuff. You've not come to this old covenant now, but verse 22 it says, "But you have come to Mount Zion, the place of God's dwelling, where where His Holy Spirit is, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, and notice this now, to the general assembly and church of who? Say it again. Once more." You've come to the church of the firstborn. Now you could say, does that mean the church of and Jesus is the, what they refer to? No. In, it, it, in the Greek, it's plural. You've come to the prototokoi. You've come to the firstborns. Meaning you. You and I, in God's heart, we're the people of the firstborn. Why? We too have been set free from death by the blood of the Lamb. We too have had the same thing happen, only more profoundly. I mean, in the Old Testament, they, they had their lives spared. That's wonderful. What have you been spared from? What has the ransom of God done for you? What have you been delivered out of as, as firstborn children? Where were you headed? How, how, how much is it worth to you that you are not going to spend eternity in hell? You know, that's not a popular subject, but there is a hell. I believe that people have died right now without Christ or disembodied in darkness waiting for the resurrection. They'll be resurrected in some kind of body and they'll be judged before God. Can you imagine conscious, awake, disembodied in darkness waiting for that trumpet? You'll never see anything like that. That will never happen to you. When you die, if you do before the Lord comes, you will close your eyes and suddenly there he will be in front of you. Either the Lord or his angel, I'll take either one. <laughs> and you will be drawn along, loved and honored into his presence. And there you'll stand looking at, at him, looking at your believing family and loved ones, and realizing you live forever with them. What's that worth to you? You think you have a little obligation to God? Did he buy you out of something horrible? How about out of, out of death itself? That, that's as close as you'll get to death. You just, you just breathe your last and then you, you just go right into the Lord's presence, conscious and awake. How about being given a new body at the resurrection? Not, we're not even going to float around like a ghost. We're not just conscious somewhere spiritually, but you literally are resurrected in a new body on a new earth. We're going to somehow enjoy the blessings of God forever. What's that worth to you? Are you thankful? 
Do you figure that you owe something to the Lord for the gifts and the mercy and the kindness he's given you? Do you think you're a firstborn bought out of death? And that your life belongs to him now? How about living with Jesus forever? Man, I love him. To enjoy him. Haven't you wanted, you know, don't you read the gospel sometimes and just wish you could walk those dusty roads with him? You know, you just wouldn't you love to have been one of those 12? Or just hanging around in the crowd watching this, getting to see him? You're gonna. You're gonna know him well. You know him already, but you're going to see him face to face. I bet he's a lot of fun. I'm serious. I bet he's full of joy and humor. I mean, he's, uh, I get, right? we get to spend forever with him. How about belonging to the family of God? We belong to a huge family. And we are, they love us and we love them. I was commenting to, to Mary just the other day. Anywhere you go on planet Earth, when you get with real Christians, it's just like family. Amen. I'm going to go to New Guinea. I've never been to New Guinea. I didn't know where it was. <laughs> I'll bet you I come home in love with a whole bunch of Christians there. Amen. Looking forward to the day I get to see them again, if... That's the way I feel about Africa. I've got friends, I've got people that are like family to me in Africa. And I'll bet I feel the same way about New Guinea when I get home. Christians, I've got a family like that all over the world. In fact, I've got them that from generations past I haven't met yet. So do you. What's that worth to you? Are you obligated to the Lord? Do you owe him something? He says, I've redeemed you from death. I've redeemed you from these horrors. And I have poured out my blessing on you. You're my firstborn. You are consecrated unto me. Listen to these New Testament verses. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, in view of the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice. That's exactly what firstborn sons were. They were redeemed from, 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 from being uh, sacrificed unto the Lord by the blood of the Lamb. And their lives were now consecrated. They were living sacrifices to God. Living out their love for him and their, their priestly service to him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Paul says, Do you not know that you are not your own? Have you got it yet? You don't belong to yourself. This isn't about you. It's not your life to do anything you want with. And then he says, For you have been bought with a price. This is the exact point he's making. Therefore, glorify God in your body. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. We literally died with him. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. But for him who died and rose again on their behalf. 
Later, in a few verses later, he, talks, he says, we who have been reconciled to God have been given the ministry of reconciliation, drawing others to our Lord. What do firstborn sons, what do men and women, what do the firstborn of God do? They become priests, leaders unto the Lord, anointed by him to draw others. No matter where we work, no matter where we live, no matter what place God has put us in, that anointing rests on us. It rests on you. You are consecrated, sacred unto the Lord. Revelations 5, verse 9 and 10 is... Well, in fact, why don't you turn to Revelation? You're almost there anyway. Hebrews. By the way, you'll notice who it is who's... who's uh, Looking over this whole picture and leading, it says over in verse 6, a lamb standing as if slain. <laughs> Our Passover, Jesus Christ. And then it says here that, verse 9, they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals. I think that's the, it's the book of life. It probably has the, the names of all the redeemed in it, or it may, have the, it may be the prophetic word of the last days. But he's the one worthy to open it. For you were slain and purchased for God. Notice the word. Purchased for God. With your blood. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have, been, you have made them to be. Now that they're purchased, what are they supposed to do? Look at, the, look at verse 10. What is it? You've made them a kingdom and priests. Authority and leadership. And priestly ministry. That's what he does with those consecrated to him. That's what living sacrifices do with their lives. He calls you to leadership. He calls you to anointed priestly care of others. That's a good trade. I don't mind doing that at all. And they will reign upon the earth. And we will. Well, what's our response to him? Your life's been delivered from death and hell. You've been redeemed with the blood of the Lamb. And it's not just a want to. Though anybody who really sees it, it that's really all you need. Your heart longs to serve him like that. You don't need to be told. But understand something. We owe him our lives. And we are not our own anymore. No one can make you do this. But you have a moral obligation. And the day which you stand there looking at eternity... I'll bet the thought goes through most of our heads, man, I wish I'd done more. I'll bet Billy Graham stands there saying that. I wish I'd done more. Not because I earn anything. Just the joy of seeing people here with me. One last, one last story. I was um, 
I became a, an assistant pastor at a Presbyterian church many years ago in San Diego. And it was a reasonably large church and it had a couple of hundred youth between their junior and senior high. And, and no sooner had we gotten there than they had a retreat. I mean, I didn't know anything about anybody. But they said, would you go and, and chaperone this retreat? And I figured I'd be walking around at night with a big black flashlight, you know. And uh, we got up into the mountains somewhere, all these kids, and 15 minutes before that, the night service on Friday night, the youth leader who was supposed to speak came to me and he said, I just don't feel I'm supposed to bring the word. And I said, well, I do. <laughs> he says, no, he says, God's told me I'm not supposed to. He said, oh. I said, well, God's told me you are. So we had a bit of a discussion on this. I was not pleased. I was not amused. I didn't know anybody, and oh man, all of a sudden I'm... And, uh, but it became apparent he was not going to do it. He was stubborn. And he beat me. And uh, so I went back to my cabin. I had 15 minutes. And I grabbed the Bible, and I just flipped it open. I think I flipped it to Philippians. I said, God, I need a text. And I don't remember to this day what, I, what text it was. But I sure remember what happened. It was an old wooden chapel. Creaky floors, the whole thing. It was an old thing. And we had all these kids. I don't know, 150 kids or something. There was, it was packed. And that night we were going to take communion. That's how we were going to start the, the retreat. And as I opened that word, I came to this simple thing. I said, Jesus Christ has died for you. And the only proper response is for you and I to be willing to die for him. I'd like you to do some business with God. Are you willing to give your life for him? Are you willing to sell out? Because that's the only proper response to the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus is to sell out, to give yourself for him, to be willing to die for him. I didn't realize what I was unleashing. I assumed that many of those kids would take it in a casual way and, and just, you know, okay, whatever. But they didn't. The power of the Holy Spirit fell on that room. I'll never forget it. It was so anointed, you could hardly breathe in that place. And those young people did not take it at a shallow thing. They took me literally, at my word. And they began to struggle in their souls. Would they die for Jesus Christ? Would they sell out for him? The last one finally came and took communion to my relief at two in the morning. One at a time, there were tears. They were on their knees. They were laying on the pews. They were calling out to God. They were sobbing. I'll never forget that night as long as I live. And I just sat there with the communion trays there and just prayed as one at a time, young men and young women would come up, kneel down, some of them just sobbing, and take communion. It was a holy moment because I knew what they were doing. They were consecrating themselves to God. 
Several years later, I was teaching a confirmation class. I had a bunch of young people in it, and, and I asked this question. I said, which one of you has, has, has ever been in a place where you knew that you knew God was in the room? You felt his power. You, you knew he was there, and he touched you. And several hands went up, and I said, this young fellow, I said, what about you? And he says, oh, yeah, that night you did that with a communion up there. He said, God was in the room, and he touched me. And that kid was quite saved at this point. I said, well, how about you? He said, oh, that night up there in the mountains when you did that with a communion. These young people, years later, knew that they knew that they knew that God had met them that night. You see, you can't give your life to God like that. You can't respond with that. That's the highest act of worship. That we offer our bodies a living sacrifice, which Paul says is our reasonable service of worship. In response to his mercy, this is what we should do. I believe God is preparing a people for revival. This is not about Northwest Church or church life. It's not about having a good church. I believe God is preparing a people for revival. And I'll bet he's not just doing it here. I'll bet he's doing it all over. And I'm going to tell you what he has to do. He has to lay a foundation. And the foundation's your heart and mine. And some of us you can remember a time when we sold out to God, but it's been years. The world's crept back in. We've fallen in love with stuff again. We've fallen in love. We've gotten, you know, our, our heart and our orientation. It's not wrong to have these things, but boy, when the heart loves them, it is. And that call to be a priest unto the Lord, to serve him, to passionately live for him, to long to see him come into other people's lives, we've lost it. And I want to give us an opportunity right now to respond like firstborn. Who've been bought with the blood of a lamb. Whose life's been handed back to them. That we consecrate ourselves unto the Lord. And say my life is yours. My future is yours. All that I have is yours. I belong totally and completely to you. Would you bow your heads with me? Holy Spirit, would you open our understanding? Let us see what we have received. And may that thankfulness rise up. May the love of our God who's come after us like this and bought us with the blood of his son, not a lamb, but the only begotten son of God. You who so loved us that you would send him for us. How can we respond with anything but giving you our lives? Nothing else is a right offering. Would you move upon us right now? In whatever way we've, I or we have taken back our lives and tried to take control of our careers and 
lived for our own pleasures and our own ambitions, would you have mercy on us? Would you free us from those terrible mistakes? We say to you today, we consecrate ourselves. The life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God. Old things have passed away. We live a new life as firstborn children of God. Redeemed children, ransomed children, who've been called as priests and leaders in the kingdom of God. We embrace you. We love you. We honor you today. I'm going to close my eyes because this is something that's very personal between you and the Lord. But if you're ready, and so I will not see this, don't feel any pressure to do this uh, for me. I'm not watching anybody. But if today you're ready to say, I'm a firstborn. I have been bought with a price. I'm not my own. And the life I live, I live unto Jesus Christ. Lord, I give you myself. I will die for you. I will live for you. I am yours, a living sacrifice. As you guide me, use my life powerfully for your kingdom. You're willing to make that commitment, that consecration. Maybe it's something you're doing again. Maybe it's something for the first time. But would you stand to the Lord and just declare as you're ready, I belong to you. Come Holy Spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Holy Spirit, move upon us. Praise you, Jesus. Lord, right now we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, a sweet aroma to you. We're not kidding. This isn't a religious act. We're selling out. You're looking at sons and daughters who love you. Holy Spirit, we're asking you to use us. We're asking you to take us. It's an honor. It's a privilege. It's not, it may be something we owe, but it's a want to. It comes out of a passionate heart. We want to live for our God. We want revival in our times. We want the power of God to go forward. We want our cities and communities changed. We want the lost found. We do not want to slowly slip down into this decaying society. We want to see you move mightily in our day. Our watch, not simply in past generations. We want it now. Lord, we want your mighty revival. We know there's a timing. We know you have to do your work. But you start with our hearts. You start with your own people calling us to a consecration of ourselves. We offer you our bodies. We offer you our finances. We offer you our marriages. We offer you our jobs and our careers. We offer you our children and our households. We offer everything. We love you beyond words. And we ask for that anointing now. Even as we consecrate ourselves, may the power of the Holy Spirit come powerfully on these sons and daughters of yours. We are priests unto our God. A holy nation. You've called us to serve. We put on that mantle of anointing and calling. And thank you by faith for the powerful thing you will do with people like us in your hands oh God 
there's no telling what you will accomplish in our generation. Take us now. Take me. I give you all. We give you all again today. In Jesus' mighty name, if that is your prayer, would you say amen? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.